Canuck Central Hour number two. It's Dan Richo with Satyar Shaw in the Kintec studio. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company, helping local business since 1892. A lot still to get to, but if you missed hour one of the show, Ian McIntyre joined us. His take on the preseason thus far, and also our take on how things are progressing and why the Canucks made some switches on defense today, including splitting up Oliver Ekman Larson and Quinn Hughes to separate pairings. So check that out via the podcast if you missed it earlier today. 650, 650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Also on Twitter, at DanRicho underscore and at Satyar Shah. That is where you ask questions for the mailbag, as it is Mailbag Friday here today. Uh, given the news of the week. Yes. Should be an interesting mailbag. Should be. And uh, we figured, you know what? Let's not let the elephant rest in the back of the studio. <laughs> Let's just, you know. There's an elephant in the studio? Let's confront the elephant. It blends in with the gray walls. It does. Yes. (laughs) You don't see the big elephant? No. Uh, I did see a video. Uh, Anyways, never mind. Its presence is felt. (laughs) Let's just put it that way. Uh, So we will start with that. We will start with uh, this question from Jay. What happened with Rachel Dory? The details are hard to come by. Yeah. And, the and full story is hard to come by. Yeah, and what I will say, and I, spent, and I was joking with you guys when I came in today, I'm like, guys, I spent you know a lot of time trying to figure out how to answer this one question yeah. to the mailbag today. And it's one of those things where obviously it's been percolating behind the scenes. You've been hearing about it and the buzz has been out there. And you know, and I think initially why it wasn't broken is because you weren't getting confirmation one way or another about it. Yep. And Rob Simpson last night, you know, got some confirmation, and the team wasn't really saying much on or off the record, really. Yep. And today, when they confirmed it, they yes. confirmed it today. A spokesperson said, you know, she's no longer with the organization. The team is not getting to any specifics about why she's not with the organization anymore. Uh, we don't know if she has an NDA or not, which is a non-disclosure agreement. If she does or doesn't. If she does, well, you should, should probably not expect her to say mm-hmm. anything. Usually people don't when they have those things, but we don't know. Uh, is she going to speak? Somebody purported to be a close relative of hers on Twitter. Said something today about truth coming out, whatever. I, I don't know. Like, Listen, these are social yeah. media things. I don't know. But what I do know is the team doesn't want to comment on this, mm-hmm. and I don't think they will comment on this. And to Ian McIntyre's point, and I've seen people throw skepticism about why you know they're they're not you know providing the exact details for it. I think the main reason for that is is because this has nothing to do with ownership. Has nothing to do with you know her saying something on Twitter or her liking a tweet on Twitter or you know expressing opinions on a podcast or something. It doesn't seem to be any of those things. Whatever it is, seems to be something related to her and her position. Is that mutual? You know, mm-hmm. departure. Is it one person deciding? We don't know one way or another what happened. But what I do believe is that this had very much to do with the position and the role. Now, what does that mean? We don't know because nobody's answering it. And unless one party decides to come out and say it, it's going to be hard for people to report on this and provide opinions on what may or may not have happened. Because if they do and they're wrong, well, that can make somebody look bad. Not necessarily her, maybe the organization or whatever it is. 
it's one of those things that until somebody speaks on the record or somebody reveals something very well sourced behind the scenes that you can yes. like triple source, nothing's going to come out from this because there's privacy. And until people speak, you don't know. And I think that's why you're not hearing more details. And that might be hard to accept from fans, but you can't force people to talk about an issue. Uh, there, there is and has been a lot of attention on this, more so than it would be normally for a person in the position she yes. held with the Vancouver Canucks. Um, but that is part of the way she came in. She joined us on Canuck Central. Normally, somebody in the position mm-hmm. she accepted with the Vancouver Canucks wouldn't be made available to interviews and the like. So part of the um, microscope on this is is due to that. But again, I, I think you are bang on in saying if the story is going to fully come out, it should come from those mm-hmm. involved in it rather yes. than how it ends up being reported because it is their story to tell. Yeah. I mean, is is it a he said, she said? Because if that is a, if it is a he said, she said, that means no matter what comes out, will be disputed by the other party. Yes. We don't know if that's the case or not. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so that's why it's one of those things. People aren't saying more because it's delicate. And unless people speak on the record or give you double, triple sources on this, it's probably not going to come out. Yeah, it's uh, for for now, it is it is what it is. And the speculation is going to continue because. A lot of people are wondering what exactly did happen here, but uh, I don't know if we'll get any concrete answers just yet. All right, the next heavy one, Chris, uh, a couple questions here. Will the allegations against Aquilini force him out of his role with the team, or perhaps could it lead to a sale of the team and then a follow-up? Are there any potential new ownership candidates who are local? So... I've said this all week, and we mentioned this just with Ian McIntyre as well. Like Dan mentioned, go check out the podcast in the first hour Mm -hmm. if you missed it. Um, Unless more stuff comes out that is more specific and even more damning and furthers the allegations that were brought up in in, in the court, probably nothing is going to happen. That's my skepticism as far as how the league will approach this sort of thing and what their history has been with these sort of things. If more things develop... Then that starts. But but if you want to entertain the idea of a process starting to be forced to sell the team, number one, he's not the only owner, Francesco Aquilini, of the team. The family owns the team. Yeah. So it's not just that one thing. So that's something else you got to think of. And for it to get to that point, so many things have to happen. And it takes such a long time unless something really nuclear goes down. That type of process, if it happens, will take a very long time. Yeah. I don't see it being a realistic you know, outcome as we speak here today. It's uh, it is hard to fathom. Yeah, you think about the scope of Canucks Sports and Entertainment and all that's involved in it. That's a lot. Um, the allegations are terrible to read. Even going back and, and reading through it again, it's it's hard yeah it's hard it is hard to read and it's hard to it's very triggering um it's hard to like really separate the fact that this is still in court mm-hmm. right and it's hard to separate how much here is real they are sworn affidavit statements 
from his children. And that is part of evidence. But again, this is not a court case that is about that. Yes. It's about payments for child support and their schooling, things of that nature. So it's it's really, again, it's, it's hard to separate what's actually being fought in court here yeah. versus those allegations. And if there is further investigation into the allegations, that may be a time where things start to evolve. Yeah. Until that happens, I don't... I'm with you, Sad. I don't see this right now changing from uh, we're monitoring the situation to anything more than that from where it stands right now today. Yeah, and as far as are there other billionaires, there are billionaires in BC and in Vancouver. Yes. I don't know about the billionaires and their interest in owning the hockey team, though. Yeah. Because owning the hockey team is going to probably cost you about a billion dollars all in by the end of the day. And whoever owns the team would want to own the stadium. Mm-hmm. When you look at the investment that uh, the Aquilini family has in the property, yep. even if they want to sell the team, they want to sell the property, which is super valuable too. Yes, well, there well, are I, people. As I was alluding to, it's not really just the scope of just the team. Yeah, Canucks there's Sports more. and entertainment. Exactly. And, uh, everything else that go- comes with it. So uh, I get people are asking about this. And basically, long story short, very unlikely for that to happen anytime soon. Um, there are people in BC that could own the team. The question is, do they have a desire to own the team? Mm-hmm. And would uh, it ever be put on sale anyways? I. Uh, but I, in the past, one thing that has kind of been in the past when people have asked about like, okay, who are other ownership candidates and locally would want to get involved in you know, a hockey team or something else? It's, it, it's been my understanding that it's been kind of soft. Yeah, you know, from from cer- certain billionaires here, that that's not what they would want to invest in. If they're making that big of an investment, it's not necessarily a hockey team necessarily. So, hey, who knows? Um, the team has never really been put on sale, so you know, I'm not expecting much to change. Sports teams are a never-ending uh, profit. It seems. I mean, if you look at sports franchises and how much they've increased in value through the years, massive. Yeah. Even the Whitecaps, right? But for uh, sure. And people are saying, what are you guys talking about selling a team? This is the mailbag. We're answering questions yeah. people have about what's going on with the team. And what we're saying is the team is not being sold, and it's unlikely the NHL is going to force a sale of this team. That's all we're saying. We're answering questions. That's mm-hmm. all. All right. And the next question is from Josephine. What odds do you give Kuzmenko for 30 goals if he plays with Pedersen for an entire season versus Besser for 30 goals? playing with Miller for an entire season. Uh, Besser, I would give much better odds, uh, or they'd be much more even, closer to even money. In a full season, I think Besser would score 30 goals. Kuzmenko to score 30 goals. We haven't seen it from Kuzmenko. No, I mean, what are we talking those about odds are pretty here? long. Probably at least 5-1. to one. I mean, at this rate, he's scoring a goal per game. <laughs> and uh, it's a preseason. Yeah, it's got to be. A, like, For me to be willing to bet on it, I'd have to be getting pretty good Pretty good odds on it. I, I would say five to one. Like, what's a realistic projection? Twenty goals, twenty-two and a half. It's a it's a large difference yeah. from like twenty-nine and a half. I I know. I think it's got to at least be five to one odds. Yeah, thirty goals is a lot. He might if he scores twenty. That's a wild, That's a huge success. Yeah, huge success. 
There's been a lot of guys that have uh, gotten to the NHL with a great shot and still don't end up, you know, really scoring a ton of goals. I'm just, I don't know. He, he looked great last night, especially in that first period. I'm not being sold off of two preseason games that it's going to immediately translate to immediate NHL success for Andre Kuzmenko. There I am. Slowing down the hype train again. Wow, so you're not believing in Andre Kuzmenko. Nah, that's not. Andre Kuzmenko that's doubter. That's not what I said. Dan Riccio. You should be sent to the AHL. That's I what know. you said? Oh. Wow. Oh, my god. Now I'm the one getting radioed. Unbelievable. <laughs> Go back to the KHL. Yeah, him and Pod Colson should <laughs> be the first Pod. line for the Abbotsford Canucks. Does <laughs> yeah. that work? Is that? Don't clip that. Stop. Stop. No, well, I can see I him. Stop. Stop. I think that was a really joke. Good. <laughs> that, that was a joke. Hold on. <laughs> One sec. <laughs> Pod Colson's not an NHL player. What? Ooh, wow. That wasn't even from today. That's oh, past. that is. Where did you even find that? Dan oh. has it in. Has, I bet Dan you I was saying from. something like, it's not like Pod Colson's not an NHL player. See, the double negative matters <laughs> yeah, in well, that yeah. situation. I didn't hear it there. Uh, <laughs> next question. Hockey talkie. If Kuzmenko plays like this until the end of the season, who leaves to make room? Um, okay, I've seen people ask about like cap space and all that sort of stuff. Even if they give Bo Horvat seven million dollars, they can afford to pay Kuzmenko like four and a half, maybe even five million next season. Yeah, they could fit that in. I mean, the Canucks can fit everybody they have. Now, if Kuzmenko scores even more, and, and you're asking six or seven million, then you're talking about maybe you have to make some room somewhere. But if Kuzmenko scores twenty or you know twenty five goals or something like that, and the contract's going to be around Mikheyev's contract, four point seven five or something. They can make that happen. The Canucks can bring everybody back on the team. The question is, what can you add on top of what you have on this team? Yeah, you still still haven't added another defenseman. Yeah, so that's the biggest thing. Uh, look, I, I think the Canucks, uh, who leaves, that's really difficult to say. But I don't think... I wouldn't say they are stuck toward holding any of their wingers. Like, they're not stuck in on Brock Besser being an untouchable. Connor Garland is not an untouchable. It's simple to say they would make the trade that makes the most sense for the team, but I do believe that's what it would be. I don't... Like, they've got their core, right? And I I think right now, you know, they're deciding if Bo Horvat's truly... Mm Uh, going to be a part of that and uh, how much money makes sense to keep him a part yeah. of the big core because Patrick Alvin does talk about Bo as being part of the core five. But, you know, when they talk about Quinn, Miller, Pedersen, Demko, and Bo, like, I think those are the guys they see as part of ultimately the biggest parts of the solution. Yeah. And everybody else is not so much interchangeable, but they could see how the right move would help the team should those players uh, be asked about in trade. All right, next one comes from Nick. Is there still smoke around Ethan Bear trade rumors? He'd be a great right-handed defenseman fit. Uh, I don't see much smoke anymore. The only smoke I see is the haziness on the horizon mm-hmm. when I wake up in the morning sometimes. That's pretty much it. <laughs> I mean... Uh, I, I'm not. I'm not saying the Canucks were not interested in Ethan Bear at any point. That's not what I'm saying. I, I, Another I don't, double negative. I love it. Yeah. I. I don't think my opinion. I don't think anything's close with acquiring Ethan Bear. 
it would be really interesting to see how they would make that work as we went through a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. I'm a fan of taking a look at Ethan Bear at the right price, of course, but... Who's he replacing? Yeah. Like, ultimately, who's going out to make room for him? Which is fine. I mean, hey, you don't sign to Kaiser. You can send Burroughs down to the Myers. You can, you can bring Ethan Bear in. But is he playing over Shen or Pullman? Potentially, but we yeah. don't know that for sure. And he's making $2.2 million. So they, they don't have cap space. Yeah, I mean, I think they can acquire him and make it, make it work. But the question is, if he's not even playing every day for you, is it worth it? Is it worth doing it unless you're giving something else back? I, I, I would, you know, I, again, I think Ethan Bear is, is due for a bounce back season. There might be more smoke as they get closer to the start of the season, October 11th, and when teams really cut down their rosters and when Carolina really has to make a decision there. This one from Danux. What would it cost to acquire Nick Haig? So, uh, more than you're willing to pay, probably? Yeah. I mean, if it was just, and, and I'm not trying to say they're shopping Niels Hoaglander. If it was just Niels Hoaglander, I think the team would make deals like that. Maybe they would have even made the Lundquist deal, if Lindquist, Niels Lindquist, if, you know, if that's all it took. He went for a first-round pick, a protected, top-ten protected first-round pick. And a fourth-round pick. And a fourth-round pick. So, I just... I just don't know if the Canucks have what it takes to make that acquisition. It would probably be something similar. He's an established NHL player, um, even though the you know he's there's he's a, a bit left of a contract side dispute. rather than a right side. He's not a right side, but he, he's a guy that you know Vegas is very high on. I don't think they're willing to trade him unless they get a first round pick or something. Yeah, you know um, they need it, defensemen. It's probably going to cost you a first round pick. The Canucks are not in the business of trading first round picks right now. Yeah, pretty much. Vikingstad, if things go well, and I don't want to talk about if they don't, can we expect whatever cap room the Canucks have by by or approaching the deadline will be used to get a right-handed defenseman, or are they more likely to do something proactive? Here's the problem with uh, paying into LTIR. Your cap space does not... Uh, accumulate over the course of the season it does not accumulate now if you are able to say keep you know three million in cap space and ltir then you can get a three million dollar player maybe you send some money out or whatever it is unless you're right unless the canucks find a way to get under the cap they're not going to really have a lot of uh, flexibility at the deadline unless it's depth players you know retaining Mm -hmm. some salary on a guy maybe it comes in it's not going to be more than a couple million probably ultimately like Getting a right shot D at the deadline? I don't think that's going to be the play. It's too expensive. Yeah, too expensive. I don't know where they're getting an, a, the right shot D that that they hope for. The options are they don't shout at you in the face and be like, yeah, that guy. Because if they do, they cost a lot. Yeah. And that's prohibitive for a team that doesn't have a lot of assets outside of draft picks. Yeah. Nate, if Hughes doesn't work on the right side, would it be a good idea to try Rathbone on the right to play with OEL? Could be his long-term D partner if all goes well. Could give Rathbone half a season in the AHL to try the right side. Um, so the reason I don't see this is because he's just getting to a point where they want to try him in the NHL. Mm-hmm. And now, just when he's ready to go play the left side and try to figure out in the NHL, you want to take him back and go and play in the AHL again, but now do it on your right side in order to become a right side defenseman despite being yeah. a lefty. That's that's putting him in a position... That's not a putting him in a position to, to succeed. Yeah, I don't see them doing that. Now, as far as the thought goes, I think it's an interesting thought that if he establishes himself this year and OEL's here long term, 
Is he a guy that could potentially try to play on the right side and be a partner for OEL? I think that's a fair question, but I think we're at least a year to 18 months away at least from trying to explore that. My biggest question about the Canucks D, if you move Quinn Hughes to the right side and play him with OEL, is ultimately like what type of player actually fits with Tyler Myers, you know? And and OEL Myers, I don't even think they expected that to be a pairing that worked last year, and it did. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big reason why Bruce Boudreaux has gone back to it, as he did today. It, If you can find a left-shot D to pair with Tyler Myers, ultimately that is what helps this team the most should you move Quinn Hughes to the right side. It's just, it's not really an easy answer mm-hmm. because Rathbone, it's a lot to ask of him. They both like to, to move up. Um, probably best to keep him with more of a stay-at-home guy. And in the limited playing time Dermot and Myers had together last year, it was not pretty. Yeah. So it, you don't really have a ton of options. Like Tyler Myers, he sticks out like a like a, store, a sore thumb sometimes and what the best fit is with him on defense. Uh, Team Mirage, predictions for the biggest point swings for NHL teams compared to last year. Team Mirage's predictions are positively Buffalo, negative Minnesota. All right. So Minnesota's not going to be bad. Like, I don't know why people just think Minnesota's going to be trash. They're not going to be bad. But they're not as good as they were last year. Unless young guys take a step. They lost Kevin Fiala. Yeah. They weren't able to add to the team. They lost Cam Talbot. They only have Marc-Andre Fleury. They don't have the two-headed goalie. They only have a Hall of Fame goaltender. But oh, sorry. Jeez. Yeah, but hey, you went from having... very old <laughs> You went from having... Yeah, you, end, you ended up having two good goalies last year at yes. the end of the year, which helped you out and all that sort of stuff. Now you have one good goalie to Josh's point, who's getting a bit older as well. And you don't have Kevin Fiala up front. This team, in order for them to be able to replicate this past year, where they got 113 points. Mm-hmm. Do you think they're getting 113 points? I'm taking the under, big time. You're taking the under on 113 yes. points. It's a bold call. Well, that's what I'm saying. So, I mean, to, to his point, that's a team you're fading. I have, even Calgary. I can assure you Calgary's not getting 111 points again this year. Yeah. Like, I'm fading Calgary. They might get 100, 105 or something. I can see that. They're not getting 100, 111. And neither is Minnesota. Minnesota could still make the playoffs and have the biggest negative swing. Yes. I mean, they could, yeah, they can get up. They can go down 20 points, get to 93 and get in, right? Mm-hmm. 111, uh, I mean, that's – you either have a really good team or you you played above expectation for a certain amount of time, right? I think that's sort of fair to account for. But, okay. And the Panthers are going to go down considerably. They might go down 20 points and have 100 points. I am more likely to say St. Louis takes a dip, a, a larger dip than Minnesota. And they were pretty close in the standings last year. So I'll say – St. Louis has the biggest regression, and I'll say Seattle has the biggest positive spike. I'll this say season. I'll say the Devils have the biggest positive spike this year. That's a good bet. Sixty-three points last year. I think they get at least like eighty. Oh wow, that's yeah, that's the easy bet actually. Yeah, I mean 60, they're not, like they, they could low. be a ninety-point team. Yeah, they should be a ninety-point. It could be high eighty-point team, and that's still like a massive jump, right? Yeah. I was on the Devils to make the playoffs last year, so it shows how much I know. No, you're a year early on them. <laughs> That's what it was. <laughs> they had such bad goaltending. Them and the Kraken. Just awful. Awful goaltending. Uh, next question. JL, who do you think is the best basketball player on the Canucks? 
feel like the easy answer is uh, Tyler Myers. Yeah, it's just because he's tall and his brother is uh, you yeah. know, well, an NBA player now, right? Yeah. yeah. I feel like Pedersen. Because <laughs> he tried to spin the fin- yeah. ball on his finger. Yeah, once. it's Elias Pedersen. Yeah. I think Quinn Hughes actually played a lot of basketball. I don't know how good he is. Might be Nils Hoaglander, too. You think? Yeah, looks like a good point guard, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I, I think you could guard Steve Francis. <laughs> I know basketball Phil had one uh, on Twitter. Uh, since Stevie Franchise was on the station today, who would you want as your point guard, Steve Francis or Mike Bibby? Uh, man. I, I had a soft spot for Bibby, but at his peak, Stevie Franchise was the better player. Although Bibby was the better pure point guard. Yep. Yeah, and I love Bibby. I actually thought Bibby and Francis could work as a ba- as a backcourt. I don't know what Steve Francis it was is talking too about. Soon. No, I mean jo- Joe Dumars and J- Isaiah Thomas work together. You're telling me Mike Bibby and yeah, and Steve Francis can't coexist. Those guys won an NBA title, one of the best backcourts in NBA history, and yet these dudes, two dudes couldn't play together on the same backcourt. Come on, give me a break. Uh, I, I think we'll have to talk about that. That's uh, a bunk take, Stevie Franchise. You can play with Mike, baby. Come on, man. In the final segment. You've seen the NBA now? Like, LeBron brings up the ball half the time with the point guard there. It doesn't matter. You're fine. John Moran doesn't always bring the ball up. It's okay. You can pass it around. You'll get the ball. You get your touches. You can isolate. Uh, do we have more questions? We'll fit a couple more in. Mark, is Chelsea finally going to get right this weekend? Hells yeah. Graham Potter gets his first win tonight. I mean, tomorrow morning. Graham Potter? Yeah. Man, how do you, like how do you feel about this? Sad. You get to watch Chelsea for like the first time in a month. If, I, I am so excited for tomorrow morning. I might get up <laughs> at like five thirty in excitement for the game starting at seven. Five thirty for your spros and just like uh, just get get it fired up at I, seven a.m. I am very excited for the match tomorrow. You're not going to get up for uh, the North London derby to watch Tottenham. Yeah, no, I'm good. Why, my boy uh, Antonio Conte? Yeah, uh, I, I'm. Uh, you know what? Uh, speaking of Graham Potter. I, I really like the move, and I was actually upset by the move of Brighton and Hove Albion to go after the coach, the Italian coach, oh, yeah, yeah. Roberto De Zerbi. Yeah. Uh, so, Brighton up against Liverpool this weekend. That should be good. Sunday, uh, my uh, beloved Juventus gets back on the field. But You're, I'm, like, hate-watching them right now. Yep, very much hate-watching. <laughs> I'm also going to be waking up early Sunday. <laughs> to play golf? To watch the Vikings. Oh, right. They're in London. Yeah, 6.30 game. Yeah, not looking forward to it. <laughs> Wake up extra early to watch your team lose. It's great. (laughs) I've never been disappointed so early in the morning. Uh, This last one from Vicky. Most favorite interview you've conducted and why? Ooh. You know what? I I would have to go off the board, and it's not a sports interview. I had the pleasure and the privilege, I would say, of uh, having a a very good discussion and interview with Romeo Dallaire. Mm-hmm. Canadian general in Rwanda when all the genocides were happening. There's, there's been movies about it and documentaries and everything. His book, Shake Hands with the Devil. M- maybe the most powerful discussion I ever had with somebody. Somebody who like stared down the evil he stared down, the situation he found himself in, and and the challenges he went through. I mean, he had, he dealt with depression. He dealt with um, like suicidal thoughts and you know just horrible mental anguish after coming back and what he's done to get over that and then help people with leadership and help people overcome things like that. I mean, he, he's a Canadian hero. I'd say that was that's easily my, my most favorite interview I've ever done. I uh, cannot top that, so I'm just going to leave it. <laughs> I'm sure you got that's, something. Uh, <laughs> I've never done something that, that impactful. Should have let Reach go first. Yeah, <laughs> holy <laughs> smokes, man. <laughs> that's not that impactful. <laughs> uh, I was going to... Uh, 
it's just like pales in comparison. This is this is awful. I, I was gonna say Paolo Rossi. Paolo uh, Rossi, that's amazing. Who scored the uh, who had the golden boot in 1982 for the Italian national team? Yeah, my hockey one would be Gary Bettman. It was just it was uh, <laughs> Gary Bettman. It, it was just. Uh, I didn't even like. I wasn't even born for the 1982 World Cup, but I just remember hearing all these stories mm. from when I was a kid. Every Italian in their household had this like picture from St. Clair Avenue in in Toronto. It's just like the street littered with people, right? <laughs> you know, like you. It was just like one of those. It looked like a parade, right? There was no. You couldn't see the street at all. Right, right. It was just people. And uh, there's this famous photo, and it was just crazy to to like chat with him and hear him talk about how he got like pictures and videos and word from like all over the globe of how his play in the world cup kind of impacted the Italian community everywhere. Um, so that was that was kind of cool. But well, also, I mean, no, that, I think that's amazing because like, you you grew up with that person kind of being a childhood hero for you. Yeah, and then you get a chance or this to, like mythical figure yeah, that exactly. I didn't really know about. Yeah, well, yeah, and then you get a chance to interview him. That's, yeah, you know, it was pretty cool. That's pretty cool. That's your favorite interview. Uh, thanks for the uh, questions, all of them. Uh, Mailbag Friday every Friday. Uh, be subscribed and review the podcast. We do appreciate it. As we'll get to more here on Canuck Central.